we look at the ten Makas in Mitzrayim, we look at the ten plagues, and we understand they're not just random punishments which were chosen to scare or to inflict damage on Egypt, its people, its agriculture, the country. We understand that there must have been some kind of plan and purpose in what the plagues were meant to be doing and why specifically these plagues had been chosen. And we understand that the function of the plagues was to bring the the Egyptians to allow the Jewish people to come out of Mitzrayim. And if that's the case, it's very surprising to look in the Torah and see exactly what happened that brought Egypt to its knees, that eventually caused Pharaoh to capitulate and let the Jews go. And if you look after the last of the plagues, which is the plague of Makas Bechorus, we see something very strange. Makas Bechorus happened exactly as predicted, midnight of the first night of Pesach, all the firstborns of Egypt die. And the survivors, they wake up to a tremendous wail, cry of all the families in Egypt bereft of their firstborns. And now Mitzrayim is determined to let the Jewish people go. And as quickly as possible. The Pasuk says, V'atechazak Mitzrayim ala'om l'maher l'sholchem in Aretz. Mitzrayim tried to, so to speak, put pressure on the Jewish people to leave as quickly as possible. And why would they do that? Ki omru kulonu meisim. Because they said, we're all going to die. The Egyptians were scared for their lives. And therefore they felt that unless they make sure the Jewish people leave quickly, they're all going to die. And the question is, why would they think that? Why would they think that when no further plague had been threatened? Moshe told Pilate, there's one more plague coming, and that was Makas Bechorus, that was the plague they just suffered. And therefore now that Makas Bechorus is over, why were the rest of the Egyptians, so to speak, so terrified that they thought they too would die, that that brought them to free the Jewish people. That's our first question. The second question, also looking at the story of what happened in Mitzrayim, and that is, if we look throughout the period of the plagues, we see how Moshe comes to Pharaoh before each plague to warn him, how Pharaoh calls back Moshe while the plagues in progress to beg him to remove it, and we see that Moshe Rabbeinu, it seems, makes the same mistake again and again and again. And that is, when Parag begs him and says, just remove this plague and I'll free the Jewish people. Moshe always accepts that. And Moshe always removes the plague. And then he comes back to ask Parag to free the Jewish people and Parag refuses. Now, maybe once, twice, a person can rely that maybe Paris is, is honest and he's going to fulfill his promise. But when you see time and again Paris renages on his word, Paris can promise when the plague is there to free the Jewish people and as soon as he is no longer being punished, no longer suffering, he took us back on that promise. So why does Moshe keep believing him? What Moshe should do is when the next plague there's going to be, tell Paris, Paris, let's do it the other way around this time. I'm not removing this plague until you free the Jewish people. I have the upper hand. And now we're in a position 
when you need me to remove the plague. So now you you free the Jewish people first. And it's not that Moshe is not aware of Paro's changes of heart. He even says this to him. He says, Rak al Paro shouldn't be to be continue enslaving the people when I take away the plague. And if that's the case, why doesn't Moshe press his advantage and wait for Paro to free the Jewish people first while the plague is still there? Now, when we look at the Haggadah, and we talk about how Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, so we see that the Pasuk says, Hashem took out of Mitzrayim with two different, so to speak, divine agents. With a strong hand is the Yod Chazaka, with an outstretched arm. And the Pasuk repeats this a number of times in Mitzrayim. The idea of the strong hand and the outstretched arm. The Yad Chazaka and the Zerayin And we're left wondering what does that mean? And specifically in the context of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, what's the difference between the two of them and how were they both used in freeing the Jewish people from Mitzrayim? What's more? The Haggadah comes to explain this to us. And Haggadah says, The Yad Chazaka Zayadever. Yad Chazaka is a dever. Dever is the death of the animals, the first of the plagues. And why is that called Yad Chazaka? Because the Baal Haggadah shows you a juxtaposition of the two words, dever and Yad, in the same pasuk, and therefore the Yad Chazaka refers to the dever. And the question is, what does that mean? We didn't think of dever as being of tremendous significance, as one of the plagues, but why was that pointed out, highlighted as something Hashem used in taking us out of Mitzrayim. The second point of Israel Nitzia, an outstretched arm, Zohacherev. This refers to a sword. Once again, the Pasuk finds, is found with the Gavara Gavara brings that both of these ideas come one Pasuk. So you have Cherev and Nitzia in one Pasuk. And therefore we want to say the one refers to the other. And once again, what's the connection? And more than that, where do we ever find a sword in the context of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? None of the ten makas involved swords. So what's the Balagada referring to? So to answer these questions, really we need to take a step back and have a much broader view of what was happening in Mitzrayim and what the point of the makas was. And let's start with a different point. Let's start with a different point. Why was Pari so obstinate? Why did Pari refuse to let Kaishal go? Didn't he see himself that he was just going to set himself up for one punishment after the next, after the next, after the next? His own servants eventually tell him, Don't you realize that Mitzrayim is destroyed? So what was Pari being so obstinate about? And the answer is, Pari had a dilemma. He couldn't understand something. And what Pari couldn't understand is, Moshe is coming, he claims in the name of Hashem, the superpower, the all-powerful, and he says that he wants the Jewish people to leave Mitzrayim. 
And what Pari doesn't understand is if that's the case, if you have this power and you can do whatever you want, so why are you coming to ask? If you can force me to release them or you can stage a jailbreak and they'll all leave, then do it. Why do you have to come and ask Pari to ask him to release the Jews? Pari couldn't understand this. And that's why Pari felt it must be that Moshe can do a lot, but he can't free the Jews on his own. That he needs Pari's assistance to do. And therefore, yes, he can bring down plagues and punishments, but he can't let, he can't achieve the bringing Christ out of Israel. This wasn't a random thing. If anyone's heard the Shirin before about why Klai Yisrael was spiritually under the influence and domination of Israel, they could very well understand why Pari understood this way. And therefore Pari thought, let Moshe, so to speak, use up his arsenal of punishments against me, but I'm not letting the Jewish people go. If it's up to me, I'm refusing. Because in his understanding, it wouldn't have happened without his agreement. And from this starting point, let's ask the question. The Chayra, it would seem, it's a good, it's a good way of understanding. Why did we need to, go, did Mitzrayim need to go through all the Makkas? Hashem wants us to come out of Mitzrayim, let Him take us out. Just like He could split the sea and find us a way out, He could have done it against Pari's wishes, without even consulting Him. So what was the point of the Makkas and each one going to ask Pari beforehand, and negotiate with Pari afterwards, what was the point of it all? And the conclusion we come to, as the brought in Mephoshim, is that the point of the Makkas wasn't to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. When Hashem and Nel Pesach wanted to take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, He did that. The point of the Makkas was for something else. And that is, when Moshe originally came to Pari, and said, so says Hashem, let my people go. And Pari responds in a very arrogant way. And Pari says two things. Pari says, Mi Hashem. Who is this Hashem? And secondly, I don't listen to what Hashem says. I'm not letting the Jewish people go. And therefore we see two underlying so to speak, challenges that Pirate puts down. He doesn't recognize Hashem and he doesn't feel he has to obey Him. Hashem wanted the Jewish people to be to go free. Hashem will free the Jewish people. Not only that, exactly at the date that He wanted them to go free. The night of Pesach. But first He wants to teach Pirate a lesson. Pirate denies the existence of Hashem. And Pari claims he doesn't have to obey Hashem's instruction. And therefore Hashem wants to show Pari, and by extension the Jewish people, and by extension the whole world who are witness to what happened in Mitzrayim, I'm going to teach you Pari. You ask who's Hashem, who's the Creator, I'll show you that I'm the Creator. You claim you don't have to obey Hashem, I'll show you that you have to obey Hashem. And therefore we're going to see two underlying themes in the Marcus. The one is for Hashem to show He's the Creator. And the second, that Hashem is going to show that He's, in the, that he's the Director, He's in control. And that everything has to listen to His orders. The two separate points. 
as a creator, Hashem could have made the world, but now it's running on its own. And therefore Hashem doesn't just show that He's the creator, the Boire, He also shows that He's the director. He decides what happens and everything listens to His instruction. He's the Manik, the leader. And these are the two sides of the, of the important first principle of the Emunah, the existence of Hashem. Like the Rabbim writes it, Hashem is a creator and Hashem is a manik. He's directing. He's a leader. He determines what happens. Power is going to be shown in this lesson. And that's the point of the Makkas. It's a lesson from Mitzrayim. It's a lesson for us. Hashem is the boire. Hashem is the manik. Now, how, does, how do you show that you create something? The fact that I can destroy something doesn't show I created it. It just means I can destroy it. If I were going to chop down a tree or kill an animal, it doesn't show that I created trees or animals. It just means I'm stronger than them. If you want to show you can create that you created something, what you have to show is that you can change its, in, its, its internal being. You can recreate it differently. So if I could, let's say, make an apple tree start growing carrots instead of apples, so now I can say, you see, I can make apple trees because I can intrinsically change it to something else. Intrinsic internal change, not from outside factors, shows that I'm a creator. And therefore, I can recreate differently. So you know, the way to show that you're a boire, that you're a creator, is to change the way you created it. That shows you have, you have the ability to create something because you can change its internal structure. And so to speak, it's DNA. And then the second point, how does Hashem show that He's a director, He's in control? Not by doing things Himself. That means you can do. The way you show that you control is you get other things to do what you want. Because that way it shows that you can control them, that they'll do what you want. So these are the two lessons Hashem wants to teach. That He's the Boire and He's the Manik. Now let's talk about them in the context for a second of a human being. If you're talking about a person and Hashem wants to demonstrate that He creates the person and He gives him life. So how's Hashem going to show that He's a Bore? By taking away that life. Not for any outside reason. Not because the person was attacked or injured or anything happened to him. But because the, Hashem takes away life suddenly, and then it shows that it was up to Hashem to decide that he should live. That's what we call Dever. Dever is unexplained death. There was no outside factor which caused something to die. It's internal, it's intrinsic. Hashem decided it should, it should no longer live, and so it no longer lives. It dies. As opposed to if Hashem wants a person to be punished, so again, Hashem could strike him down from the Shemaim with lightning, whatever it's going to be. But Hashem has another option. And that is, He'll find someone else to kill that person. Which means, the someone else is His agent. Hashem wants one individual dead, He'll cause somebody else to be the one to kill him. That's Hashem showing Manhig. 
that he's a director and he's directing what he wants to happen. And that's what we call Kherif. Kherif, a sword, kills when somebody uses a sword to kill the other person. And the understanding in the Muna is, Hashem wanted the victim to die. He just orchestrated it that this person should be the agent of Hikari death. Okay. So therefore, we understand that looking at how Hashem runs the world as a boy, as a creator, is what we learn from a, something which is, let's say, Dever. Something which shows internal change. No outside reason. It's the work of a creator. Something which Hashem shows that He can direct things in the world to do certain jobs. And an example of that is the Kherif. It's not like Hashem wields a sword and kills people. He gets one person to use a sword against the other. So He's directing it. Now, we know that this world was created with a number of building blocks, so to speak. Starting points. And everything else is just a compound in different forms or different proportions of all these original, so to speak, elements. And based on Chazal, we know that there are four primary elements in the world. What we call Afar and Maim, sand, water, fire and air. The four primary elements in the physical world. And if you're going to add that to that two more, which exist in the spiritual world, which we in contact with, is the life of an animal, what we call nefesh behema, and the life of the human being, what we call nefesh adam. This world is made up of these six elements. The four physical ones, and the two non-physical ones. Again, Animal life and human life. And now, if Hashem wants to show that He's a creator, so He has to show that He created all the building blocks of life. All of these six stages. If Hashem wants to show that He's in control, then Hashem is going to show that He's in control on all of these stages. And therefore, the point of the Makkas, to show that Hashem is the Bore and the Manig, will have to demonstrate itself in all of these six different levels of creation, that Hashem is a Bore and Hashem is a Manik. And therefore, with this introduction, let's look at the Makkas one by one, identify the element of creation involved, and identify which of the two Hashem is showing. So, from the beginning, Makkastam. What happened was, Aaron raises the stuff to hit the river, the river was a source of Egypt's fertility as a fertile country because of the Nile River. It was the water supply. And iron changes it to blood. And this isn't just the optical illusion. The Pasuk says all the fish died. Fish can live in water. Fish can live in water which looks like blood. But fish can't look and live in blood. And therefore, iron intrinsically changes the nature of the Nile River. Water becomes blood. So we're talking about the element of water, and we see an internal change. An internal change, and that is that it, what was water is now recreated in something else, in blood. So Hashem shows He's the boire of mine. And our next maka, Tzvardaya, the frogs, what happens in the maka? So here the frogs are the, what inflict damage or disturb the Egyptians. 
But the Pasuk doesn't look at the frogs. The Pasuk looks at the river which brings the frogs. The river will bring frogs to Mitzrayim. And if that's the case, the river is not an, a live entity. It's an inanimate thing. But it's being used to transport frogs. And here Hashem is showing the second point. Hashem is showing control. That he can bring the river to bring the frogs. Now, why, is, why don't we talk about the river itself doing damage? Why are we going through the agency of something else? The river causing the frogs and the frogs do the damage? So I'll share with you a Gemara in the Durham. And the Gemara in the Durham says that a certain Amora who was sitting by a riverbank. And he saw a scorpion. And he saw a scorpion climb onto the back of a frog. And the frog hops across the river. The scorpion climbs off the other side and stings the person on the opposite side of the river and kills him. And the Amora watching this incident happen is over, overawed. He says, When you want to judge somebody, everything is your servant. Everything can be used to carry out your decree. Hashem decreed that the person on the other side of the river should get stung by a scorpion and killed. Except the scorpions on the other side of the river and the scorpions don't swim. And therefore, Hashem prepares the frog to carry the scorpion across the river to kill someone. Now, had Amara just seen the scorpion sting someone and kill him, would he have been as impressed? No. It's the nature of the scorpion just can sting people. And if Hashem wants somebody to get killed, so that's what's going to happen to him. But when you see Hashem's control, is when you see the second stage. You see Hashem sets up one thing to enable the second. Hashem prepares the frog in this case to carry the scorpion across the river. And it's the same thing over here. If you want to see control, you want to see Hashem's abilities and manning, you'll see it how he makes one thing bring about the other. So it's not that he sent the water to punish the Mitzri. That wouldn't be such a nest. It's He sent the water to bring the frogs so that the frogs would punish the Egyptians. Then you see manning, then you see planning. So in the first two makas we've seen the element of water, the element of water both sides of it. The Hashem is the Boira and Hashem is the manning. Then we come to the third Makkah, which is Kenim, Lice, once again performed by Iron. And what happens to the Makkah of Kenim? All the dust of Mitzrayim becomes Lice. Now, this looks like spontaneous creation. The dust becomes Lice. Something inanimate suddenly turns into something living. Yes, it's an intrinsic change in the nature of sand. And therefore, this again is a Boire Makkah, or in our synonymous terminology, it's called a Devir Makkah, as it applies to offer. And the, so to speak, complementary Makkah, where in the middle of offer, when it comes to the element of sand, is the Makkah of Shechin, the boils. What happened? What happened over there was, iron takes handfuls of ash, he gives it to Moshe, Moshe throws it into the air, it scatters all over Mitzrayim, and it falls, and whatever particles of this ash would touch the body of the Egyptian, he would develop these tremendously painful boils. So now the ash, in what capacity is it being used? It's being used in order to do a job. It's being used in order to cause these boils, the shrin, to form in the Mitzrayim. 
And here again, Hashem is showing directorship, control. He can get the sand to do something else. He can get it to cause a second effect. And therefore we see when it comes to also to the macro of uh, the elements of offer of sand, both Hashem can change sand or Hashem can utilize sand to do a job. And now we come to the third category. And that is animal life. The two lower elements are water and sand. And the lower of the two forms of life is animal life. And we come to the fourth and the fifth marker. The fifth marker is Arof. One doesn't need a better example than that. Arof is when the wild animals came to Mitzrayim and attacked the Egyptians. So obviously they were sent to do a job. And the corresponding marker is Dever. Dever is Dever. All the animals died. With no explanation, no sickness, no nothing caused them to die. Hashem wanted them to die. So Hashem has shown he can direct animals, he can bring them to punish the Egyptians, and he, and he creates animals. And therefore you can decide to stop their life and they'll die, all the animals in Mishraim, in one second. So when we're holding by this stage in the Magus, we've so far seen HaKadosh Baruch Hu's ability to control and to create, both by water and by sand and by animal life. Now we come to Makkah's Sparot, the Makkah of the Hail. These next Makkahs are performed by Moshe Rabbeinu. The Makkah of the Hail, and he brings down Hail Min Hashemayim. The point of the Hail is to punish the Mitzrayim. And therefore, it's being used as an agent to punish Mitzrayim. It's not being used to show internal change in itself, but it's, it's a sword. It's something being used against the Mitzrayim. Except... What's unique about the hail of Mitzrayim is that it's not just big balls of ice. What's unique about the hail of Mitzrayim is that it has a fire inside it. And it would seem that the main damage which was caused to the Mitzrayim was by the fire. And therefore, we see how Kodesh Baruch Hu is using fire to fight, to inflict damage on Mitzrayim. So we see Hashem's control of fire. It's a cherif. He's making the fire into the sword which is being used to attack the Mitzrayim. And then we come to the locusts, the Arbe. Again, a market brought about by Moshe Rabbeinu. And in the case of the Arbe, what happens, the Pasuk tells us clearly, the Arbe don't come flying into Mitzrayim. The Pasuk tells us clearly that the wind brings the Arbe in. Moshe raises his hand to Shemayim, there's a tremendously strong wind, and the wind carries in the Arbe, and then after the plague is finished, the wind carries the Arba back out again. Which means the active middle which is being used here is the wind to bring them Arba. And therefore Hashem is showing his ability to use air, the wind, the Ruach, as a means to do what he wants it to do. As a way to bring a punishment to Mitzrayim. So in Barad and Arba we've seen two Manhig Makas. Two Kherav Makas. Two Makas which Hashem has been using something as his agent to punish the Mitzri. One as against the element of fire, and the other what's applicable to the element of air. And then the ninth Makas, Makas Choyshech. So we know from the Pasuk, there are two parts to Makas Choyshech. The first part of Makas Choyshech is that it became so dark the Mitzri couldn't see anything. 
And the second part of Makas Chayashev was they weren't able to move. Now what happened? How did the Mitzvah stop being able to see for three days? It wasn't that they went blind. Nothing happened to the eyes of the Mitzvah. It wasn't that this world stopped turning and therefore was dark because the sun didn't shine. The Pasuk says, For Klai Yisrael, the sun shone like normal. So what changed that made the Mitzvah unable to see? What changed is something in the nature of the light. Normally the, the, the rays of light would go into the eyes of the midstream and enable them to see what was going on around them. Here there was light, the sun was shining. Their eyes were normal, they wouldn't go blind. But something changed that the light didn't work, that they couldn't see it. It's so to speak that the rays of light never reached them. They remained in darkness. Now this is a tremendous change in how light works. Normally we have a source of light. The rays of light are going to spread in every possible direction and anyone who can see them will be able to see. Whereas over here that the light rays have been blocked and that the, even though the, the Jew standing next to the Mitzri would be able to see and the Mitzri wouldn't, was an internal change in Aish. An internal change in how light works. We're talking about the sun, which obviously is, uh, is fire. It's uh, the elements of something which burns and produces heat or produces light. So Hashem changes the nature of light. Light which people can remain in the darkness. Light which doesn't enable people to see. This is the creation market. The boire of fire. And the second part of Chayshech, that the Mitzvah couldn't move, so what happened? Again, it wasn't a muscular problem. Says the Ramban, the air around them became so thick, like cement, they couldn't move through it. Normally air is a substance which doesn't put too much resistance to a person's ability to move. A person can move freely in air. But when the nature of air changes and it becomes heavy and thick, like cement, so much so that a person can't move, he's trapped in his place. So we see this is intrinsic change in the nature of air. And therefore, the end of Makhach we've now seen, been shown, Hashem's ability to both create and control fire, and Hashem's ability to both create and control ruach, to create wind, air. So we're nearly there. We've seen five out of the six dimensions. And now we come to Makhach Bukharis. Makhach Bukharis is, comes the stroke of midnight, all the firstborns of Egypt are going to die. And that's what happens. So now we've reached the level of human life. And what happened at Makas Bukharis was Dever. Wasn't that something attacked them that they got sick? Hashem decided they should die. Hashem decided that he's a boy. That once showed that he's a boy. And all the firstborns died. And we ask the question, what's left? No more plagues were shown to them. Were warned. Why were the Mitzrayim so scared? And the answer is because they understood the process is not yet complete. Hashem has shown only one side of what's applicable to human life. He's shown the fact that He controls. He's in, He's the creator. 
He hasn't yet shown the second side. And therefore the Mitzvah understood there must be another plague as well. And once the firstborn have all died, who else could possibly be the victim of the next plague? It must be all of us. And therefore going back to our first question, Mitzrayim were desperate to get the Jewish people to leave. Because they said, If we don't, we're all going to die. Now, we spoke about earlier, a Yad Chazak and a Zerunatur. What's the difference between them? So let's think about it. In the, so to speak, the marshal, in the, the allegory we're trying to build, so if you're punishing somebody else, you would hit somebody else, what would they feel? The person is being punished. They would feel the impact of your fist. They would feel the, the Yad Chazak, the hard hand. That's the point of impact. And when someone hits something with a kayak, so what you're feeling is the impact of the hand. That's the Yad Chazak. What's the idea of a Zerunah to have an outstretched arm? And the answer is, if you want to hit somebody with more force, what you're going to do is, before that, you're going to draw your hand back and up, so that way you can bring it down with that, all that power. And therefore, the outstretched arm is the, step, the stage before the play comes crashing down. Before you feel the impact of the hand, what happens before that is the arms raised in order to bring down that punishment. And therefore, what's already been felt is the hand. What a person is aware of it that's coming but hasn't yet been felt is the outstretched arm. You can see it's coming. The makas that Mitzrayim had already experienced was all a yad. In the Yad Hashem Hayo, Hashem's hand has been strong against you. What you've been punishment, the impact of what you felt is Hashem's hand. What you can see coming, which you haven't yet felt, is the arm which is raised. It hasn't yet come down. And now let's go back to what the Baragada says. Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim with the balance. The one was the Yad Chazaka. The hand which, of punishment which the Mitzrayim felt. And the other was the Zerunatur. The arm outstretched which is threatening to punish more. And now we come to the next question we asked. Why was Moshe such a poor negotiator? Why did he always agree to take away the plague and never force Pari to free the Jewish people first? The answer is because the Makkas weren't there. That Pari should free the Jewish people because he's scared of a punishment. I really didn't want to let them go, but I was suffering terribly from whichever plague it was, and therefore I was forced. That's not the point. The Makkas were there, so that first he had to teach a lesson, like we saw previously, and that the Egyptians would let the Jews go because of Yerushalayim. Not because of a year of locusts or boils or, play or darkness or death of the firstborn or anything else. And therefore, the, the point of the Mitzvah and the Jews go 
had to be at a time when they weren't threatened by another plague. And therefore there was no outside reason which because of that they felt forced to let the Jewish people go. And when did that happen? After Magus Bacharis. When Moshe Rabbeinu did not threaten them with any further plagues. Right now they weren't suffering from anything. But they understood themselves that there's Israel Atiyah. They understood themselves that if we don't let the Jewish people go, and quickly, then we're all going to suffer for it. That's Israel Atiyah. The balance between what they had felt and what they knew was coming was what caused them to let the Jewish people go. And that's what the Baragoda says. Which part of that plague, which part of the lesson which applies to human life, the sixth level, so to speak, had they already felt what was the Yad Chazaka? That's a Dever part. The fact that Hashem is the Boyer, the internal change. That this all the Makas Bukharis. Which was the part which they were scared of, but they hadn't yet felt. It was waving over their heads, so to speak. That would be the second part. When it's practical, what's applicable to human life, that Hashem is in control. And Hashem can make things do what He wants. That was the Zerun that, that was the part of the Makkah they had not yet seen, not yet felt, but they knew it was there. Because without that, the lesson hadn't been completed. Hashem hadn't yet demonstrated on all six levels that He's the Creator and that He's a Director. And that's why Mitzrayim let the Jewish people go. But, if Hashem wants to teach the lesson, the lesson has to be taught. Where was that second part of the lesson by human life? That Hashem can direct people to do what He wants. It happened just one week later. By Yamsuf. What was unique what was extra special about the miracle of Yamsuf is that Hashem didn't bring the waters to drown the Egyptians. On the contrary, what happened was Hashem provides an escape route for the Jews. Yamsuf opens up and the Jews run through to safety. And now the Mitzim and Hot Pursuit come to the banks of the sea and they see tunnels going into the sea. The water standing up. Says the Ramban, any logical person would stop and ask himself, what's going on? And the stupidest thing to do would be to race straight in. You see something miraculous is taking place. Why did you run into the sea? Not only that, there came a stage where the Mitzvah wanted to turn back. And they couldn't. Hashem led the Mitzvah into the sea. They ran to their own deaths. And this was the point. It wasn't something else going to punish them. Hashem can direct a person to run to his own death. He can make the Mitzvah run into the sea. This was the second part of the Makkah. Where Hashem shows he's in control. And he can bring people to do what he wants as well. If they were meant to be drowned at the depths of Yamsov, this was the Medikinagamida for throwing the Jewish children into the water. Hashem doesn't have to bring the Yamsov to them. He'll bring them to it. 
And now the Nathum is complete. Hashem is shown on all six elements. The four natural building blocks, water, water, sand, uh, fire, and air. And the two spiritual ones, animal life and human life. That he's the creator and that he's in control. At Yamsov, what was seen in Mitzrayim as an Israeli as an outstretched arm over the heads of the Egyptian, came crashing down on them. And that's what the Pasuk says, Rayar Yisrael is Hayyoda Gedoyla, Asher Asa Hashem in Mitzrayim. Kaisal saw the, the, the plague, the punishment happen. He saw them, we saw them all drown. Then we saw how that Zerah and the two turned into a Yadah Chazaka. The powerful hand which was brought down against Mitzrayim. One last point. How did Parah know this? If you look in the Torah, the very first time when Moshe meets Parah, and Parah, like we said, arrogantly denies Hashem and claims he doesn't have to listen, so Moshe retorts, Moshe responds to him and says, the God of the Jews told you to let them go. If not, whether he, otherwise he will punish you by Dever or From the beginning, Moshe had already warned Parai of what the system, what Hashem was going to show, was going to be. Dever or He will internally change everything to show that he is the Bayre, and he will use it as the, to show that he's in control. And for us, besides for the fact that we came out of Mitzrayim, we gained tremendously from the lesson of the Makkas. We've learnt and we've seen how Kaddish Baruch has demonstrated that he is the Bayre and that he is the Manikh.